It's called re-entry fear. I don't know if you've heard of this. This is so a lot of people are really excited that uh, restrictions are lifting and they're making reservations at the restaurant. People are rescheduling their canceled vacations and they're very excited. There's a whole group of people who are petrified of this and they want nothing to do with it. it, it when they hear that restrictions are lifting, it, it creates deep fear and anxiety in them. We're calling this re-entry fear. The interesting thing is a lot of it has nothing to do with COVID. Uh, that it's not actually about thinking that you'll get sick or that you'll be uh, uh, transmit this virus in any way. It's, it's just that even the smallest task of maybe going to a store or going back to the office is creating for whether it's a social anxiety or some other reconnecting and having to have conversations about what you've been doing. People want, they don't want anything to do with it. The most extreme cases, psychologists are calling uh, cave syndrome. That means... People have been isolated for a year, and they, they are totally happy to stay isolated and get their groceries delivered and to never go out. Um, and so it's just a, a love of just not being around people. And So I was reading an article about this re-entry fear, and there was one quote that jumped out at me and I thought was really fitting for us today. The person quoted said this, "'You've been taught for an entire year to distance yourself from people,' And you've learned to be afraid of people because they could make you sick or kill you, this guy says. There's no question that it's easier to learn to be afraid than to be unafraid. That's true. Not everything he said was true, but the, there's no question that it's easier to learn to be afraid than to be unafraid. And since we're, we're talking about fears today, not fears related to illness or pandemic, but fears that accompany our faith, the kind of fear that can really stifle our faith, um, the kind of fear that can hold us back. The type of fears that Jesus addresses here, they're actually very common. I would guess that many of us have experienced these types of fears, or we're currently experiencing these types of fears. But we need to remember that it's really easy to learn to be afraid of something, but it's much harder to learn to be unafraid. The context of this passage of scripture is really following straight on from last week's message and actually the week before that as well. Jesus was out healing and then he, uh, his disciples are following and watching him. Now he sends them out to bring the message of the kingdom to, um, he sends them with, to their people, the lost sheep of Israel, uh, to, with the power of the kingdom and, but also with persecution, warning them of, of the hardship that will accompany this kind of thing. And especially with um, under, the understanding that there's going to be persecution and trials and hardship, that we, we really need to address the fear part of that because that easily can bring up fear. Most people, if you say, hey, um, this is going to hurt, or this, you know, you're going to have trouble, most people don't say, well, that's fine, don't worry. It's, you, know, you think about it. You, you're, it. It raises those fears in us. So I want to... Consider three of these common fears and how Jesus is calling his followers to uh, confront those fears and, and to live courageously on this life journey and this life mission that Jesus is calling us to. So let us pray. Father God, we are uh, sorry and we confess that we need this message because you've called us to be courageous and yet we struggle with these fears and so but we thank you that you are patient with us that you meet us in our weakness 
you meet us with your grace and your forgiveness. We just pray that during this time you might change our hearts, that we might truly live bold lives, that we might live this abundant life and this fruitful life that you've called us to. And may it be for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have three common fears that can accompany this mission as we follow Jesus. The first is fear of rejection. In verse 26 says, do not be afraid of them. Who is them? Them he's previously described as we looked at a little bit last week. These are those who inevitably, as you live out your faith, will uh, not like you. They will reject you because of your faith in Jesus. Jesus described it as being uh, arrested, being rejected. And I appreciate what Pastor Dan said last week, that we can sort of, um, we don't necessarily experience this kind of persecution in our country. Uh, we live with religious freedom. We can freely uh, live our faith and express it. And there's places, many places in the world. I think of believers in China, where I visited a few years ago, uh, talking to those pastors and the type of persecution that those believers face really does look like what Jesus described here. But even though we may not experience it in those extreme kind of forms, if you live out your faith on mission for Jesus, as he's called you, you will experience rejection. There will inevitably be people who do not like your faith, who, who want you to just hide it, or who, who just really don't like it. So we will experience that. I actually think young people, children and teenagers, that you experience it even more acutely than adults. Because adults, you know, you're a person of faith, and people say, okay, that's great. But when, when you're younger, the decisions that you make to follow Jesus can make you stand out in ways that really um, separate you from your peers in, in ways that, um, that an adult may not experience. So, for example, you know, most of my friends aren't, aren't experimenting with drugs. I don't struggle with the pressures of dating and, and that sort of thing because I've been married. Um, but I'm not 17 years old anymore. Right? So th- there's, there's different pressures and different things that as we follow Jesus, we make choices, and those things separate us from our peers um, or bring judgment and that sort of thing. But for all of us, we live in a culture where, you know, maybe it's, it's okay to have faith, it's, it's legal, it's, you can express your faith, but most people around us feel that faith is something that should be very private. We describe this as the sacred-secular divide. It's, it's, the, it's the notion that people say, you can have your faith, but just leave it at home. You know, leave it at your church. Don't, I mean, it's not something that's meant to be brought into the public square. Not something that should be part of how we make decisions, uh, policy decisions, that kind of thing. Just keep it private. And what Jesus is describing here is nothing but private. It's about proclaiming his name and proclaiming God's kingdom as we go about our lives. But if we have any kind of fear of rejection and we live in a world that would prefer we keep quiet, you know, you'll never get criticized for being quiet. You'll never get criticized by you know, people who are not people of faith for keeping um, your mouth shut. You're not going to offend anybody. And there is a time, to, I mean, there is a time, Jesus, remember he said, be as, as wise, as, a, as shrewd as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. There's times when you maybe should keep your mouth shut, but for the most part, we are called to be bold and express our faith. And so is it, 
Is it really faith that's driving me to be quiet, or is it this fear of rejection? Jesus gives us really good reasons why we don't have to have this fear of rejection. He gives three of them very clearly. Verse 26, Jesus said, There is nothing that is concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. He says, so don't be afraid of these people who could reject you. His point is, truth is going to prevail. You can hide your faith or you could uh, become afraid of being rejected. He said, but there'll come a day, as Scripture says, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That the truth of your life and of your faith will rise to the surface. At some point in this life or at the final judgment, it's, the truth will be known and we need to speak truth. We can't hide it from people. So Jesus said, don't fear that because the truth is going to prevail ultimately. The second reason he gives in verse 28, pretty good reason. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Jesus said, look, don't worry about those people. The worst they can do is kill you. And we say, Jesus, that's actually pretty bad. That's, that's, I'm not sure that helped me to fear less. But his point was this. Jesus said, look, you know what's really bad? Your eternal soul, which God holds in his hand. To be eternally separated from God. Who's, who's promised to, to, to love you and to forgive you and to uh, welcome you as his child. To be separated from the God of the universe is terrifying. Because he could destroy your soul. At worst, somebody can kill your body. And when you think about it, life is really fragile. You could die in a, you know, a tragic car accident. You get a disease and, and take your life. I mean, these things, life is much more fragile than we like to think it is. I was watching this uh, news story on Thursday. This kid in Brockton got run over by the car. He was playing basketball on the street. He got all tired or whatever. He just kind of lied down on the street. And kind of out of nowhere, a car comes through, unlicensed driver, runs him over, both legs. And I watched the video. It's horrifying. He gets up and walks away. Took him to the hospital. Not a broken bone. This kid, the car went over both legs. He jumped up and ran. Ten years old kid. But if that, was, if that story was just a little bit different, then he, that kid could easily lose his life in just a kind of a freak accident. Uh, my point is, not to freak you out, but to praise God that he, that I was just so astounded that he jumped up. Um, we sing songs, last week we sang, for me to live is Christ, for me to live is Christ, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do we really believe that? We sing it, and sometimes we sing in such a way to say, Lord, I'm singing this, but I really want you to make this true for me, that I believe that I live in Christ, and that if I were to die, if my life were taken from me, I gain eternal life through Jesus Christ, that I don't fear death, and I don't fear anybody who could kill me. And then, so, you know, truth will prevail. They can only kill your body. God holds your soul. And, and thirdly, he said, even though, God could, even though God could squash you at any moment, he doesn't because he cares for you and he loves you. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. So look, God cares for you. He's going to provide for you. And we see God, when you go hiking and you look at the mountains and you 
sense God's presence or you look over the ocean or a beautiful lake and you know that God is there. God cares about those big things, but he cares about the very hairs on your head, the smallest little detail. That's the level of care of our heavenly, loving Heavenly Father. If you struggle with the fear of rejection, you go about your day, not, you know, kind of maybe I should hide my faith. I don't want people to reject me. I would encourage you to confess it. Say, God, I struggle with this. Ask him to make you aware of his protection and his care for you. And and just pray that he give you boldness where he's calling you to speak and calling you to love boldly and speak boldly that you would. A very... One very practical thing you might consider, if you've never professed your faith in Christ, uh, we, it, if, and if you haven't been baptized, we're going to have a baptism on June 6th for a believer's baptism, and that you will have an opportunity to receive baptism, but to, to share your testimony, to profess your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're interested, if you've never been baptized and you'd like to be baptized. I would love to just contact me. I would love to talk to you about that. But that's coming up. That's one very uh, kind of a good first step of being bold and professing your faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the fear of rejection. The second fear we see here is the fear of conflict. Verse 34, Jesus says, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then in verse 35, he's now quoting the prophet Micah. He says, For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's a little simpler. A a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now again, when Jesus gives this warning, we as American Christians don't necessarily experience this in the same way as they would have in the early church or where they still do in other parts of the world. We have our mission partners in, on the Arabian Peninsula uh, who we support. And uh, my family and I had a chance to visit them there. And it's very common there where somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ and their family completely disowns them and rejects them or goes as far as to do an intervention and put them into, like you would for an addict or something, put them into a rehab to try to decondition them and get the Jesus out and try to help them re-enter back as, as, uh, with Muslim faith. It's, th- that's the extreme ways. But if you are following Jesus Christ and he is the Lord of your life and you have family members where Jesus Christ is not the Lord of their life, you are coming at life from different worldviews. You're coming at life with different pr- values and priorities. And that can easily lead to conflict. And actually, as I talk to people and minister to people, when I say, well, how can I pray for you? Very often, people will say, you know, I'm, I, there's an issue with a sibling or one of my children or my adult children, and their priorities and their decisions and what they're doing, or my parent. It, there, there's all kinds of this type of conflict because of faith. Faith, can't, faith in Jesus Christ can drive a wedge even in families. And in many of us, and I put myself in this category, would love to just avoid that kind of conflict. We hate conflict. I just want to appease everybody and keep everybody happy. But Jesus was realistic. He said, look, this is going to happen, and you need to know how to navigate this. Um, 
Now, you might be asking, you might be thinking, well, didn't we just a few weeks ago, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, and now you're saying, if you live out your faith, it's going to not bring peace? Or Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but blessed are the peacemakers. How do I reconcile these things? Because the Bible does uphold the dignity of family, that children are to be obedient to their parents and to honor their father and mother. Um, But Jesus is saying here, if there is a clash between my kingdom and and a family member, I get priority there. And we got to remember that when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, it's not about blessed are the peacekeepers or just... A peacemaker is somebody who brings peace into conflict and brings reconciliation. You know, somebody who's just a peacekeeper or a, you know, who doesn't who just avoid conflict. And I, you, I've referred to this as peace faking, not peacemaking. He's like, okay, no, everything's fine. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to go there. Uh, that genuinely blessed are the peacemakers, that we can enter graciously into these conflicts and bring peace because this, uh, even faith can drive that wedge. And so I would say to you, if, the, if you struggle with this kind of fear of conflict, particularly in your family, to not be afraid of it. Because even in Jesus' family, there was conflict over faith. They thought he was crazy. They went to go get him and bring him home and to stop this whole ministry that he had started. So if Jesus experienced it, then I, I think we could embrace it to some degree. So maybe it's time to have that hard conversation with the family member that you've been putting off. Uh, to speak faith. You know, knowing that you might offend Knowing that they might say, oh, there you go again. There you go with Jesus again. Every time we have this conversation, you go there and you say, actually, yeah. Because Jesus is my Lord. And Jesus is the way. And Jesus is the truth and the life. And I want you to know that. And that's why I feel this way. That's why I'm making this decision. And this is why I want to talk to you. Be gracious, but we need to speak truth there. But the fear of conflict is... um, Definitely another one of those common fears. So the fear of rejection, fear of conflict. Lastly, the fear of missing out. FOMO, so to speak. Fear of missing out. Verse 38. Jesus says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What drives this fear of fear of missing out, like fear that my life, that I've missed something in my life. What drives this fear is the notion of individualism and my personal freedoms that um, I can live my life any way I want to. I can take control of my own life. I can accomplish my goals. I I can control my own destiny. And Jesus says, no. Life is not about what you gain, what you accomplish. Life is not about controlling your destiny. That's Jesus rolling his eyes, controlling your destiny. He holds it all in his hands. He says, it's, about, it's not about what you gain, it's about what you give. It's about giving up your life. It's about the radical lordship of Jesus Christ. If we radically orient our lives towards Jesus and his kingdom, we are relinquishing control of our life. We are relinquishing this ridiculous notion that we can control our own destiny. Um, and and we, know, we, we, we just give ourselves over to Christ. But that's not the preference of our culture. Our, our culture wants the American dream. I want to pursue my goals and live my life and achieve these things. And I want Jesus to just sprinkle blessing in when I need it. 
on my plans and my goals. I just I need him to help kind of open a few doors and, and keep me healthy and, and help me to, you know, to, to be happy. And Jesus says, take up your cross. That's a huge statement. Take up your cross and follow me. You know, remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus is out healing people and he said, don't tell anybody that I've done this. And of course, they went out and told people. And his disciples, he asked them, you know, who do you think I am? And, and his disciples confessed, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one who was to come into the world. And Jesus said, okay, don't tell anybody. Because what Jesus needed to do was to show them what the Messiah was all about. Because they had all these ideas of what life was for and how the Messiah was going to come with power and victory and political influence and, and, and do all these things. And Jesus needed to show them that the way of the Messiah, the way of God's kingdom, was about giving up life, was about sacrifice. It was, and he literally went to the cross and died for our sins to accomplish his mission. And he sends us on mission, and he said, you need to pick up, you know, figuratively, you need to pick up your cross, and you're going to follow me. And if you try to cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you, if you die to yourself, if you give up your life for me, you're going to truly know what life is. And Jesus is completely right. If you push this, to the, if you push this sort of image to the extreme... It clearly points to what Jesus is talking to. If you do everything you can to save your life for yourself, how would you live? You would, uh, hours and hours at the gym, because you got to stay healthy, otherwise you could get sick. You don't ever go out in the sun, you can get cancer. Don't ever go out in the dark, way too dangerous. Uh, don't go out during flu season, allergy season, when it's too hot, too cold, rainy. Never go near traffic. Forget about a pandemic. Don't do anything dangerous. Don't do anything adventurous. And if you have money and resources, don't ever give them away. That life will protect, is very protective. It ends with a funeral where people say, she really took care of herself. Or he really, you know, he took good care of himself. That's how that story ends. But if we lose our lives for Christ's sake, we find true life. That's costly love, that's sacrifice, that's service, that's taking risks for Christ. Um, it's a life that gets to see other people come to know Jesus. It's a life that sees other people embrace the kingdom of God and the salvation and the grace of God and new life that comes with that. It, it's, it's a life abundant that Jesus came to bring. He said, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That life also ends at a funeral and people say, that person knew how to live. That was a life well lived. But you've got to give away your life. You can't cling to it. So the diagnostic questions for us, if you, you, know, if you have this fear of missing out in life, you know, what is my motive in life? Is it myself? Or is, it, is my motive God? Is he my motivating? Is God the motivating force in my life? What are my future aims? Is it to avoid death? Or is it to live life to the fullest as I lose my life for Christ? You know, what kind of things do you value? Are they things that benefit you? Or are they the values of God's kingdom? What are your ultimate goals? Is it earthly status or is it to glorify God? Those are the questions as we pursue things in life that will help us to deal with this fear of missing out, this fear that my life somehow doesn't have value. But as we give up our life, we understand what true life is, really is. 
So what would it look like then? If we get these fears and we confess them to the Lord and he does his good work, what would it look like? It would look like boldness. We would live boldly as followers of Jesus. It would look like steadiness, not constantly afraid of what everybody thinks of us or how we're going to be rejected, even our family members, but that we are steady, understanding that God gives and that God takes away, but God cares for me and that I am secure in him. We would be prayerful people. We would be people who are seeking God's leading, not just our own desires and our own successes, not just asking him to sprinkle the little blessing in as we go, but to genuinely seek his will as agents of his kingdom. That's the type of people that we would be. Let us pray. Father, help us to be this kind of people. Lord, we confess fear, but we know that you, um, that in, as, as your word says, that um, your, your love drives out fear. There is no fear in the perfect love of God. And we thank you for that, God, because it, we, you can help us to deal with these things. It's not that we're not going to feel those fears, Lord, but you are there to, to pull us out of them and to push us forward on this good and beautiful mission, which you set before every one of us. Help us to know what it is. Help us to know when to speak. Help us to know when to be bold in our speech. But above all else, help us to trust you more. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.